Welcome to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. I'm Herb Ham. This weekly program features interviews with families and business owners telling their stories and our estate planning professionals presenting timely legal and tax advice and valuable information on giving back to the community. The topic of today's program is estate planning for families. Here is estate and trust planning specialist Sherry McMillan in conversation with Peter Watts, talking about estate planning dynamics facing many families, including divorce. Let's talk about one of the realities of the 21st century, Sherry, and that is the blended family and how an estate plan can be affected by marriage and divorce and death and separation and all of those kinds of social things that are our reality today. Well, Peter, as you know, the divorce rate in Canada is above 50%. And so it's very, very common that if we haven't experienced a divorce that enters into our life and then we have a second relationship, often we may lose our spouse prematurely. And then from choice, we may select a new partner along the way. And so most of us are going to have more than one relationship through the course of our life, which is wonderful. But that being said, there's some complexities to that in your family's estate because often the core belief was if you create an estate, you create it for your use, first and foremost, for your retirement. But then, of course, you want to have that remain within your bloodline. You would like it to transfer to your heirs at some point in the future. Unfortunately, our legislation has been written with protection of the dower rights, which is the spousal rights, first and foremost, before it considers or contemplates estate rights. And so one of the complexities for most of us is if we have entered a second relationship and many times the third, what is happening is we, we write a traditional will approach that says, I give everything to my biological family, my children, and my new spouse gives everything to their own children. Technically, in law, that's not a legal plan. And so there's a lot of confusion in the general public out there that they have a good plan because it was drafted, let's say, by legal counsel. And I'm not saying it's not a valid will, but it's not valid from the Family Relief Act and from the Intestate Act in most jurisdictions across Canada. So what can happen is someone in good intention writes a draft and says, I give everything to my children, but that second family has claimed to that estate before those children do. And you're seeing this more and more. Most people will lose their estate, very, very sadly to say this, in the last five years of life in that second relationship to non-family members outsiders that are not even part of their family. Thankfully, we are in Canada and we have legislations um, that we can utilize to safeguard and protect ourselves from these kinds of events happening. And so many of us just don't know we have these privileges and opportunities. And unfortunately, they're not the traditional thing we would think of, which would be a will. Alternatively, in Canada, what we use for what we call a blended family situation is a special technique called a trust. And what that does is it creates a separate family member for our family. And it's like the host of our family, and it's going to hold the asset base on behalf of the true family, the rightful heirs of those particular assets. So very commonly, Peter will see assets that are sentimental put into these kinds of mechanisms, like family cottage. It's a perfect example, because we do want that to remain in the bloodline. And more commonly today, uh, specifically farmlands, we're seeing that. And in addition, of course, the family business, because often it's the son or daughter that's going to carry on. And so we can't have that separate into the new blended family and lost. 
let's talk about life planning. Um, officially called estate planning, but I like life planning better, quite frankly, because I think it's a it's a more positive sort of atmosphere, and and it usually involves mom and dad asking uh, their offspring, um, you know, or talking about what has been accumulated, how it can be distributed, what the children's wishes are, uh, what uh, suggestions or ideas they have, and generally having a family discussion about the wealth that has been accumulated and how it might be distributed going forward. It really is a very interesting time in our society at present, Peter, because it's the very first time we've had more open uh, communication and dialogue as families about our estates. And we're much more... Uh, looking towards a life plan than we are an estate plan, let's say. And the reason for that is we have the appreciation for, for the now. And many of us use that language, you know, we want to live in the present, we want to live now. And so we utilize our estate with our family at present. And so there needs to be dialogue and communication and there needs to be discussion about what does that mean. And so there's a sensitivity, of course, because it is the first time, especially in North America, not so much in the European countries, but in North America, it's the first time we've truly had wealth to share in generations and also to transfer. And so there's a a different kind of dialogue that's going on, both in mom and dad's mind, but also with the children. And so there's a sensitivity of assisting the children while we're alive to see the blessing of that occurrence in their lifespan, but being careful not to destroy the self-reliance of a child, neither by giving too much too quickly or being overly generous when they're not ready to take that responsibility on. So the guide I always suggest to families is you know your children more than anybody. Um, I don't care what the estate planner's credentials are. You as the parent group have the understanding and the dynamic of who your family unit is. So there's a time and a place to share the wealth that you've created with your family and also to educate and steward your wisdom to those children so that when they do one day inherit larger values than they may have received in your lifespan, they actually have the understanding and aptitude to steward it well on their own behalf. And that's always a very tricky uh, position for mom and dad to decipher. What does that really mean? Mom and dad have a couple of things, it seems to me. On the one hand, by defining it as a life plan, it means that it affects you going forward for the rest of your life. So that plan might include, where am I going to live? What have I got in my health care bucket in case I get sick? And then with what's left, uh, you say, okay, how would I like to use this? And there are any number of ways that, that those assets can be apportioned, be it uh, looking after a child, be it education program, be it uh, a charitable trust, um, any kind of philanthropy, that kind of thing. And those are all discussions that you can have around the campfire or around the the picnic table um, if the weather warms up a little bit uh, and and have a a good evening's discussion that gives, that, that removes the emotion and removes, you know, some of those kinds of critical issues and makes it possible to then go to a planner and say, here's what we have decided, lay it out for me so it'll work. That's right, Peter. And I would suggest that generations above us were very close-lipped about how they were designing their estate or the very fact that they would not share it until they passed. That was a very common traditional approach. You would hold your wealth in your own hand. You would use it for your own retirement. And when you're gone one day, you would then 
in turn transfer that wealth that's remaining over to the children. But because we have created more affluence today, what we're finding is parents really want to give a lift to their children early on in their career. So a very common uh, desire of many parents that we work with is that they'd like to help their children potentially buy their first home early in life so that it appreciates. And really, if you think about family's wealth as one big monopoly game, the fact is, it doesn't matter if you own every single property on the board, as long as your family does. And so what you can gain by doing that is you're educating your children in your lifespan on the wisdoms that you have to manage their affairs appropriately. Also, potentially in many families to manage not only assets and wealth, but sometimes family businesses. And this is a really big cornerstone in many families' wealth creation. So who needs an, an estate plan or a life plan? Who, who specifically really needs something like this? Well, you know, we're procrastinators by trade, Peter. And so we all do wait till the bitter end to do many things. But I would suggest to you that most families need estate planning if they've started to create that seven digit, that wealth um, size of an estate. And particularly those families that start that and commence that young, because the earlier they are in preparing their estate for their life expectancy, the more they can amplify it. So it's that ballooning effect of compounding that we really want to take advantage of. That being said, there's a few other groups that I really highly recommend do contemplate estate planning. Of course, they're not just the wealthy, but they're the families that have family businesses because family businesses are very tricky. They often have uh, core members of the family that are going to lean upon that business for their own care in retirement. And we also have to be careful that, you know, in modern society, we have the measure of divorce that occurs in in many families. And so you don't want to jeopardize, we call it the golden egg in a family business, but truly that's what it is. And so if it's going to support the entire family unit through many decades of retirement, maybe first generation, mom and dad, and then the next generation, we have to be very conscientious about how we preserve and protect it. Of course, the other trick to the trade is always the sensitive area of family cottage. At this time of year, everybody's thinking of it because we're on the deck and having the barbecue. And so we're sentimentally attached and a lot of planning needs to go into that area as well. Because the rules are different in Alberta than they are in BC. And and if that's where, if you live in Alberta and the family property is in Invermere or something like that, There's some differences in the rules that you need to know about. You're bang on. Unfortunately for us in Canada, it's not as straightforward as we'd like to think, um, depending on where you own an asset. So if you do own an asset in each jurisdiction, for example, BC, like you're mentioning, or potentially even the United States, you actually have multiple estates. And some legislation is not always complementary to the legislation you may choose to live within as your primary legislation. So you really have to know the rules, or you can get your hand caught in the cookie jar in one tax department side or in the legal system of what family fair and equal will mean in interpretation. And all of a sudden, your objective, maybe that cottage going to your son who put sweat equity in, isn't a legal form of practice in that jurisdiction and you've just jeopardized your plan. Sherry McMillan will be back in a moment. This is The Strong Room. 